this morning and we we started before this whole coronavirus thing started we said that we'd look at the the narrative of Jesus in the last week of his life looking at key events uh, between the the entry into Jerusalem and right up to the resurrection we, we said we'd focus on that very last week of Jesus life um, and with everything that happened we were slightly changing things I still want to do the last week of Jesus life I still want to look at those key events but I'm going to try and gear uh, each message to look uh, specifically at how it can can relate to the situation we find ourselves in you know we we've heard the word so many times uh, over these last few weeks unprecedented I, I prefer the word uncharted you know waters that we we haven't had to navigate through uh, before um, and I just want to look at how these these narratives of Jesus can speak into the situation that we're going through so if you've got your Bibles I'd love you to turn with me to Mark's uh, gospel we'll turn to Mark chapter 11 and we find ourselves the day after Jesus triumphant entry and it's so so in the week the last week of Jesus this would be Monday morning uh, so Mark chapter 11 I'm going to try and put it on the screen for you now I don't know if this is going to work because we haven't tried this yet but let's have a look and see if it does work hopefully you've got that in front of you so Mark chapter 11 says this when they arrived back in Jerusalem remember this is the next day this is the day after the triumphant entry, this is Monday morning, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and, and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. So Jesus walks uh, into the temple. If you know anything about the temple, or if you don't, I'm just going to kind of ex explain the layout. As he walked into the temple, the temple was multi-layered uh, and, and there were certain stages you had to go depending on your status. So Jesus walks into the, the, the opening uh, expanse of the temple, which was the, the call to the Gentiles. Anyone could go to that space. There would be the ritual bars, there would be the tables for the money changers and the people selling animals for sacrifices. If you wanted to go further than that, further into the temple, you had to be Jewish. You couldn't go any further into the temple unless you were Jewish. If you wanted to go further than that, you had to be a man. You could not go any further into the temple unless you were a male. If you wanted to go further again, you had to be a priest. And they believed that the closer into the centre of the temple you got, right at the heart of the temple, was the very presence of God. And that's what they believed. Now, you could only get closer to that presence of God depending on your status. So if you weren't Jewish, you had to stop where you stopped. If you were a Jewish female, you had to stop before the court of the, of the males. If you were a Jewish man, you had to stop before the, the priest's uh, area. And it was only by being a priest you could go even further. So, so your access to God depended on your status. And Jesus walks into the 
call of the Gentiles and there are money changers and there are people selling animals and this place was a, was an attack on on every sense uh, there was the, the cries of the money changers the sound of water the smell of the roasting animals the cries of the of the animals as they are led to to slaughter there was the intense heat uh, of the Middle Eastern sun there was the smell of, of thousands of people crammed together it was it really was an attack on every sense but it was organized uh, and we know that one Jewish historian says that the temple was kept even the court of the Gentiles while all this was going on was kept in a state of, of incredible cleanliness and, and incredible uh, tidiness and that, that's documented although it was crazy it was organized the temple authorities knew what they were doing now the temple was the richest place in the Roman world it was the, the richest place and it, it served as the heart of the Jewish economy. It served as the actual, the central Jewish bank. You could store your money in the temple and the temple would look after it for you. And, and it became, the temple came in, became incredibly rich. And one of the ways the temple became rich was through something called the temple tax. And the temple tax was, a, was an annual payment uh, every year of, of half a shekel. And so you would you were encouraged at Passover at major festivals to go to the temple and take your half a shekel. Now, I haven't got half a shekel, but what I have got is half a zloty, uh, which is a Polish currency. And um, I was looking for some euros, but I couldn't find any. So only because they, they come in halves. Uh, but this is half a zloty. Now, let's say I'm not Jewish. So I go to uh, pay my sack, pay my, my temple tax because I, I'm not necessarily Jewish or I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I don't live in Jerusalem. And I, and I go to pay my temple tax and I haven't got the right currency because I don't live in, in the area. So I have to go and I'll give my money the equivalent to the, the half a shekel. And because you could only buy half a shekel and you could only pay your temple tax with, with, with a shekel, uh, I would have to buy the currency and what they would do, they would set exchange rates at an exorbitant amount so that you would buy your currency. So, so essentially you were getting charged to, to get the right currency to pay your temple tax. So I've gone in, I've swapped my money over, I've been charged and now I've got the right money. I then go to pay my tax and they're going to charge me again. Not because the money is wrong, but because it's the wrong coin. And what they wanted you to do is they didn't want you to pay with half a shekel. They wanted you to pay with a full shekel. And the only difference between coins apart from one being half and one being whole is the whole shekel had more silver in the coin itself. So they wanted you to pay with the whole shekel. So even though you're paying the right amount with the right coin, they would charge you extra because you're not paying with a whole one. And what they would do, they would try to get you to, to buddy up, find a partner, club together and pay for the two of you with a, with a whole shekel just so they got the coin that had the most silver in it. So again, they were setting the rates that, that, that determined your access to God because you couldn't go into the temple unless you paid your temple tax. And once you got to the temple, once you paid your temple tax, you need to bring a sacrifice. Guess what? You can't bring your own. You have to buy your animal to sacrifice at the temple. And that's where the sellers of animals came in. And they would sell these animals sometimes at an exorbitant rate. And just to, just to help you, a, a dove, to buy a pair of doves to sacrifice would have cost a day's wages. So as well as traveling to Jerusalem, as well as having to find somewhere to stay, you probably spent upwards of two or three days wages just to get to God. 
just to get your access to God. And this is the temple authorities. They're setting the prices. They're, they're setting out a way that you can only get to God depending on your status. And so in walks Jesus and he, and he flips over the temples and he shouts this statement. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. And I want to be clear here. Jesus isn't trying to start a riot. When we look closely at the text, no one jumps in to stop him. No one uh, tries to restrain him. The temple police do not uh, try and arrest him. The Romans who are watching on do nothing. Jesus is not interested in starting a riot. And, and no one does anything, I wonder, because I think they know he's right. I think they know Jesus has a point. And what Jesus does, he resides a passage from Isaiah 56. And, and what Jesus does many times in his ministry is he will recite a line of a, a verse from scripture. But he won't recite the whole thing. And it's an old Jewish technique called Ramez, where, where Jesus would recite a, a small bit of, of scripture. And, the, and those who knew the scriptures would know the rest of it. They would know what's coming next. When Jesus is on the cross, he shouts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That comes from Psalm 22 and anyone that knew the scripture at the time would know that was a messianic psalm that was prophesying the, 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 the crucifixion of the Messiah. So he did it intentionally. He didn't need to say the whole thing. So he, he speaks out Isaiah 56, which is all about God saying, I will, I will accept the whole world, Jews, Gentiles, everyone can come to me. And, and this is what Jesus says, that the, that the temple should be a place for all nations, for all people, all, all colours, all skin types, all backgrounds, all economic status, to come and encounter God. But the temple authorities have priced them out. They have, have, have robbed them of their opportunities. Jesus calls them thieves. Jesus says this is a, a den of thieves. Now, the actual uh, Greek Jesus uses there is the word for bandits and bandits were people who who robbed systematically against the state and Jesus is saying listen you are robbing God you are robbing God of his people because his people want to come to him but you are pricing them out you are making it unobtainable and, and notice again it's not the money changers or the traders who get upset it's the temple authorities they're the ones who get upset with this because this is an attack on them this is an attack on the way they're running the system. This is an attack on the way they've restricted access to God based on status. And it got me thinking about the church and how potentially we can unintentionally restrict people's access to God. Uh, you know, sometimes through our routine, sometimes through our tradition, sometimes through the way we just do church. Uh, we, we can let people access and I'm using the royal we I'm not talking about us as our church but I'm talking about the church and I, and I just wanted to say if you're if you're watching this this morning if you're part of our church or not you are welcome and we hope you are enjoying the service we hope you're getting something from it we hope that that God is speaking to you and we we, we, we want to say you know you you are welcome we love having you with us and we, we're we're overjoyed that you've come to join us this morning but we find ourselves as a church at a time where God has actually physically moved in and swept the church out of its buildings. It's, it's swept us back into our homes, back in our family groups. And, and, and I do think that whether, whether you think God is, is, is behind coronavirus or not, I think God's working in it. I think God's working through it and I think God is using it because I think he's got a plan through this whole season to do something special with the church. And, and it reminded me, the story in Luke's gospel that Jesus tells about a woman 
who is searching for Colin and it says that she turned her whole house upside down. She turned her whole house inside out to find the treasure, to find that was lost. And, and I wonder that maybe, maybe God's doing this, that he is turning his house upside down. He's turning his house inside out so that he could find the thing that's lost. He could find the thing that's treasure because the, the, the thing that God is looking for is worth the people. It's worth the turmoil. It's worth the, 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 the mess that it causes. You know, it's worth the inconvenience. It's worth the disruption because we want to find what's lost. If you read the book of Acts, we, we read that Paul uh, talks to the, the early church. And the early church are in a place of tension. In Acts, uh, I think it's Acts 15. And, and Paul is saying, listen, you've, you've got to accept the Gentiles and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to how to balance being the church that they thought they were called to be and being the church that Jesus had called them to be. Jesus said, go and reach every nation. What they become was a very Jerusalem Jewish centric uh, organization or group. And Paul says, listen, God says you need to accept the Gentiles. You need to bring the Gentiles in. God wants to bring the Gentiles in. And Paul says this, he says, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, those who are turning to God. And this one statement transformed the mindset of the early church. It transformed the way they did church. It transformed the way they did things. They, they became the church Jesus had told them to be. They became inclusive. They became expansive. They weren't drifting inward. But for the first time, they were letting others in. And I want to close with, with a, a brief analogy that I read in a, in a great book this week. And so I'm just going to read this to you. Imagine you invited guests to your home for a meal. You take time to acquire what your guests liked, whether they had any dietary needs. And you would cook accordingly, preparing something you could all enjoy. Perhaps you spend some extra time tidying or preparing the table as a courtesy to them. When they arrived, you would be dressed appropriately. You wouldn't welcome them in your boxer shorts and t-shirt. On these occasions, you are intentionally limiting your freedom and your level of comfort because you have guests. And it's that thought I want to leave you with, that maybe God is, is setting his church up for a shift in culture and a shift in in thinking maybe God is, is looking to reposition our churches to, to reach our towns and our cities and our communities better and, he, and he's taking us out of our buildings out of our comfy surroundings out of our comfy services and structure and, and even out of our preferred seats so that so that his church his temple can be a house of prayer for all nations all people all skin types all background all economic status or social status so that, the, so that everyone the rich the poor the young and the old can come and encounter God so they can have their hearts revived they can have their hope restored and they can have their lives rebuilt why don't we pray together God we, we open ourselves up to be repositioned we give you permission to make us uncomfortable yeah. so that our guests would be welcomed in and served better. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you through, that through every storm, every dark place you're with us. You are in control and you will work all things together for good. God, we pray a protection over everyone who is listening today. For those that are anxious, that they would know your peace. 
For those that are sick, they would know your healing power. For those that feel alone, that they would know your comfort. God, would you bless us this week as we look to you in all situations, all circumstances, and whatever happens, we give you the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.